you know, if you're buying an asset that is already producing, you know, great cash flow, and if you could stress test those numbers and it still, you know, produces a, a nice yield, we feel nice. We feel secure with that. So that's kind of our investment philosophy and, you know, kind of what we're sticking to going forward. Hi, welcome to Ready to Scale Season 3. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. I'm a real estate investor, syndicator, and operator of multifamily properties. And in this season, we're going to focus on dialogues that drive success. Building real wealth is not a fairy tale nor rocket science, but there's so much to learn. So grab a cup of coffee and join me each week for in-depth conversations with successful real estate investors. Conversations that are designed to help you drive your wealth, investment, knowledge, and lifestyle to the next level. And of course, you can always go to my website, elliperlman.com, to read more about investing passively in multifamily. This is Ellie Perlman, and today I'm speaking with Peter Powers. So Peter is the VP of Acquisitions with MPI Family Office, and we met on one of the forums, the Family Office forums. I think it was about six months or 12 months ago. It's kind of hard to tell with COVID when that happened. He's involved with underwriting and asset management, and he holds you know, degree, a bachelor's degree in entrepreneurship and real estate from Florida State University. I would like to welcome Peter to the show. Hey, Peter. How you doing, Ellie? Thanks for bringing me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm doing well. We connected on one of the forums, I think it was about a year ago, we were talking about family offices strategies. And I remember we were talking about similar things, our perspective were things were pretty similar. So, you know, I thought to reach out. I thought it was a great opportunity to talk with you today and share with our listeners what your family office, you know, is doing and kind of dive into how you're investing today and how things are different, if they're different. Awesome. Again, thanks for bringing me on your show. I guess I could start with a little bit of a background on MPI Family Office. So we're a first-generation family office based in Tampa Bay, Florida. We started in the healthcare Sector. So we still have healthcare clinics all across the western part of Florida. We transitioned that a uh, number of years ago. My uncle and father transitioned that to get into more generational assets. So we saw real estate as the, the way to get that done. And from there, we started you know, investing in multifamily, self-storage, and senior housing. So we have a pretty nice portfolio of you know, all those assets, about 4,000 apartments, 1,000 self-storage units, as well as 500 senior care beds all across the country. So yeah, so we, we again, started a number of years ago, and we're looking for, you know, something to, you know, kind of transition to, to really, you know, bring us to the next level. So we formulated our family office. So we have our own in-house tax team, our own consultants, associates, and such. So we take that and, you know, again, build up a a portfolio of income-producing real estate assets. That's great. And we were talking before we hit the record button. You guys are basically investing with other family offices. That's your main investment, you know, strategy, just collaborate with other family offices. And then together you're you're purchasing assets. So, you know, you have a pretty good understanding of how the family office sector is you know, assessing the risk today when it comes to investing in real estate. Has 
anything changed in the type of assets you're looking into or how you're investing? If I asked you the same question a year ago, you know, before COVID was present in our lives? Yeah. So I'm going to answer your first part of your question. So with a lot of family offices, and I don't want to speak for others, but a lot of them that I've spoken with agree with, you know, we look at wealth preservation with income generation. So, you know, you want to preserve the capital and assets that you have, but you also want to produce cash flow. And we think real estate is, is a great asset class to get that done. There's various different types of real estate, but, you know, our three main food groups are multifamily, self-storage, and senior housing. And we think those are, you know, awesome. They cash flow well, and they're very resilient. To answer the second part of your question, so, you know, before COVID, pre-COVID, we were involved in those three asset classes, but it kind of forced us to, to relook at it. And, you know, we still like those asset classes, but what can we change? And, you know, I would say biannually, we'll go over our criteria in terms of those asset classes and what we're seeing, you know, depending on the market. And the biggest change that we've seen since last year is we're starting to really dive deeper into and start to build a bigger platform of tax credit multifamily deals. We think with the current political landscape, you know, that those are going to be very incentivized. We'd like to follow the incentives, both because there's a, there's a affordable housing crisis and, you know, there's talks about increasing the minimum wage. So things of that sort, it's, it's going to have a, a strong impact on tax credit deals, affordable deals. So we, we're really building up that platform. And another platform that we are building, and we're just looking with the right owner operator and doing our due diligence to, to partner with, would be doing the conversions, the adaptive reuse from either hotel or commercial property to affordable housing, just because it presents an opportunity to be all in at a discounted basis to where current multifamily properties are trading. So that's, we weren't looking at that pre-COVID, but those are two asset classes that both have a emphasis on affordable housing that we've really started to put a lot of our resources and time and energy into. Got it. That's very interesting. It's actually not something that I that I do or our affiliated family office is involved with. Can you talk a little bit about the tax credits and how that works, basically? Yeah. So as a way to incentivize affordable housing, I think with 1980s, I think it was during the Reagan years, they came out with this LIHTC, low-income housing tax credit structure, where essentially they would divvy it up amongst states, and the states would give money to different developers, different companies that would essentially take those tax credits, sell them to investors, and you know fix up a property to make it you know an older property, a little bit newer, you know have newer appliances and such. And then for that, they would have to, because again, they're getting tax credits, they would have to go into a 15-year agreement with the state, which would essentially enable, they would have to max out their rents for 15 years. And after that 15 years, there's another 15-year extended use period that they would still have to keep their, their rents at a maximal amount. And that amount changes every year. It's based on area median income. But yeah, so essentially, you know, if you're in areas, call it like Atlanta, where over the last 10 years, rents in, average rents in Atlanta have really you know, skyrocketed. Those affordable properties, those LIHTC properties haven't increased nearly as much because they're underneath that rent ceiling. But we like to purchase these properties when they're in their last, let's call it five years of their extended use period. So they're 
I guess the, the last five of the, of the 30 years. And we purchased them. A lot of times there's still room to bump the rents to a max allowable. It helps us produce a nice yield. And then if we decide to hold on to the property for a long period of time, we could go through the process of taking it from, you know, affordable to more workforce housing and increase the rents even more, or we could sell off the property to investors that want to take part in that strategy. Got it. So you're basically purchasing right before or, you know, around five years before the status changes and you can actually, you're no longer under the rent ceiling. It's interesting because I would think that actually the owner would want to hold onto the properties for five more years and then they can raise rent. So why would the owner sell it now right before you can actually raise rents? So a lot of times how these owners how they'll do it is, again, they're going to sell off those tax, credit, those, those tax credits that they get. They're, they're going to have such a small ownership in that property that it doesn't really make much sense to them. They're going to get their development fee. They essentially are more based on a, a development fee than they are in terms of having equity in a deal. And, you know, the value of the deal goes up. They make a tremendous amount of money. They just they don't have much ownership in the actual deal. So it's not the incentives really aren't there. Got it. And so basically, you know, it's an interesting concept because I'm thinking about our assets in Atlanta. We've been able to push rents pretty significantly, even during COVID. So I'm thinking, you know, if we were to purchase anything, any asset that I would actually, that I wouldn't be able to raise rents, the only reason why I would do it is basically what you're doing for the tax purposes. So you, you have to have enough thing net worth, significant net worth that it would make sense for you because so basically do you see it as not as a profit center but as a vehicle to reduce your tax liability that's mainly where it comes from or they're still cash flowing so usually when we purchase these properties there's not really those tax credits have already been sold so we're not getting any special tax credits what we are getting because there's not as much capital going into these assets is the prices aren't being hiked up as much which enables us to get you know, a nice yield, you know, a nice cash on cash. And then again, we can decide to hold on to it and do the conversion, you know, market rate conventional ourselves, or we could, we could sell it off. So again, we're, you know, about cash flow, and, you know, we, we're always you know, sniffing out trying to find where the cash flow is. And we've been finding more of those assets in the tax credit space than in the conventional market rate space. Got it. That's interesting. So you're, you're saying that even though there's a cap on rent increases, the assets are still cash flowing. Can you give me kind of a range of what kind of cash on cash we're talking about? I'm just curious to compare that to other, you know, multifamily assets. Yeah, yeah. So again, it's like every asset, it depends on how the asset was found. And, you know, if yeah. it was a, you know, sometimes people talk about off market or if it was, you know, through a broker relationship where the prices tend to be, you know, hyped up a little bit. I can give you an example of both. So we, we bought a almost a 300 unit asset in Atlanta tax credit deal middle of last year. So that one was direct from the seller. We purchased the property, you know, probably 15% below what Litec tax credit deals in that area were selling for. And that deal we purchased, I believe at like a six and a half cap rate. So wow. unlevered six and a half cap rate with less than 3% fixed rate debt. So we had a 300 and some, you know, basis point spread between our debt and our cap rate. That deal's cash flowing. I believe over 12% year one. And then we have a, another asset that we're in the process of acquiring in Virginia. That deal was through a broker relationship. The price didn't get hiked up as much, but that deal we're going in 
that's probably going to be day one cash on cash rate around seven and a half and probably gets up to about eight and a half by year three, which is still, you know, a nice yield in a, in a very low yield environment. So we're still excited about that. It's still, it's in a great area. You know, there's nice retail and, and such in the surrounding area. So we feel very comfortable about the property. And then again, it's still, it's going to be great on the back end of the deal when we look to sell it because the potential end buyer can, you know, switch it to, you know, from affordable to, to workforce. That's very interesting. And it's interesting that you're able to purchase those assets at a higher cap rate. Because right now you probably see it the way, you know, it's the same, we kind of work and play in the same, you know, environment where there's so much capital out there right now, all the firms in the family offices and investors that did not deploy their cash last year because of COVID. Now, you know, it, they're sitting on on a lot of cash, a lot of, you know, drought powder, and there aren't that many deals, you know, we're recording this, it's February 3rd, there aren't many deals right now, it's the, the pipeline is, is is pretty thin. And so it's even harder to get deals these days because the cap rates keep compressing and the groups are willing to get lower returns because it's better for them than to have those tens of millions of dollars still sitting in the bank or on, you know, short-term notes. What do you think about that? How does your family office, you know, try to kind of maneuver around this issue? Yeah. So, well, in terms of sitting on capital and investing money. Okay. So something that we look at is you got to look at also the macro picture. So I believe right now the U S government, I think there's about $157 trillion of unfunded liabilities. So you look at something like that, right. And there's essentially two different ways where that could go. Either they're going to, you know, increase, you know, the age on some of these programs, like social security and some of these benefits they give out, maybe, you know, make the criteria a little more stricter where there's not as many people getting those. So they don't have to fund those liabilities. Another way of doing it is through inflation. It's through debasing essentially the liabilities and inflating that away. So, and we think it's going to be the latter. And if they do that, that means we're going to have, I don't want to call it runaway inflation, but we're going to have a good bit of inflation. And historically, a lot of that goes to assets. So whether it be stocks or whether it be real estate. And, you know, again, our cup of tea is real estate. And we definitely see that as, as what's going to happen. So, you know, we, we are sitting on a good bit of cash, but, you know, we are still actively looking for deals. And again, we work with owner operators all across the country where we do, you know, co-GP investments. So, yeah, there's definitely not as many deals out there as, let's say, a couple of years ago, given the uncertainty in the market. But we do have, you know, probably 30 or 40 different owner-operator groups that, you know, we stay in touch with. You know, a few of them are, you know, are coming across interesting deals and we'll review any deal. You know, we'll give them quick feedback and, and let them know our thoughts and kind of help them understand, you know, what risks we see and, you know, kind of what we're feeling right now. Because again, specifically multifamily, we own 4,000 apartments with various different owner operators. So we have a pulse on a lot of different markets and we have we have access to a lot of different strategies and ideas because a lot of these groups have been around for, for multiple decades and they have, you know, lots of experience and we can leverage that, you know, on future deals as well as current deals. 
Yeah. And I think what you're doing is actually, it's a pretty smart strategy because you're able to see a lot more deals than any single owner operator that is focused on certain, you know, markets or certain asset classes. You basically are exposed to all of them. And after they've looked into a deal and vetted the deal and underwritten it multiple times, if it still looks good, then you, you get involved. That That's a pretty smart strategy. Before we start recording, you mentioned also that your family office is also providing advisory services. Yeah, so that's another thing that, you know, we early last year started to, to build up our advisory side. So very much like the, the Rockefeller family that has a family office, they also have an advisory um, side. So we started this side uh, early last year. We call it our circle of wealth. So it's, it's for ultra high net worth families, as well as established family offices and entrepreneurs with, you know, fast growing businesses. So, you know, MPI, we have our own in-house tax team. We also have a second tax team that we outsource to for a lot of real estate needs. We have multiple different advisors in terms of, you know, insurance, legal, you know, various different, you know, advisors that a family office needs and utilizes regularly. So we opened up, it's a nice network slash club that, you know, all these different families and, you know, fast growing entrepreneurs can kind of take a part in and they could you know, leverage a lot of the, the consultants and advisors that we already have. Again, gives them the infrastructure to kind of, you know, start their own family office. Because a lot of them have a lot of money, you know, they've really built up businesses, but they want to diversify a little bit from that business. And again, with the tax efficiencies of real estate and the, and the income potential of real estate, the, the cash flow, we think it's, it's a great asset class to be involved in. And again, a lot, of these, a lot of these families like to co-invest in a lot of the deals that we put together or we come across. As you just mentioned, you know, we're working with, let's call it 50 owner operators. They're going to send us their best deals, but we're looking at 50 of the best deals. And then we sort from yeah. that, you know, two or three deals that we like. So it's been filtered a few different times and really do find, you know, interesting, you know, awesome deals. So, I mean, it's, we're excited about it and it's, it's a nice chapter for MPI family office. And, you know, again, we're, we're, we're actively building that, that networking club. So we love to, you know, get some more families involved and, you know, kind of show them, introduce them to a lot of the strategies that have really pushed us up over the last couple of decades. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think that there are many people that made money in 2020. I know there's, there has been a lot of pain for many people in 2020, but the wealthy for the most part, got wealthier. And some of them now reach the point where they need to start, you know, a family office, they don't know how to do it, uh, and how to kind of enter that circle and how to connect with other family offices. And I know there are all kinds of family offices clubs that I don't know how legitimate they are. If they're selling information to a third party, I personally tend to stay away from but I'm much more interested in connecting with other family offices when there's basically no third party company that can benefit from it. So you you actually know that who you're you know connecting with is is legitimately you know successful and, and on the same side. A lot of these side. deals, I mean, we're investing a significant amount of money in these deals, so it makes these families feel comfortable. It's not just yeah. oh, we're going to advise you, put a million dollars into a deal. You know, when we're putting in a million dollars and they're putting in, a, you know, we have skin in the game as well. So yeah. Again, it's definitely different and it's, you know, definitely something that we've been looking to do for a couple of years. And, you know, given, you know, kind of what happened with COVID and like you said, a lot of businesses and a lot of wealth, you know, a lot of the wealthy did well. But again, I think they saw that, you know, 
it's very, very risky to have all your eggs in one basket. So if Absolutely. you can diversify into different businesses, then, you know, ultimately that's, you know, what's going to preserve their wealth and bring in more streams of cash flow. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. So, Peter, what do you think is going to happen this year, 2021, from an investing standpoint? Yeah, so an investing standpoint, we're still looking at a lot of deals. We're still meeting with groups. We have a group flying in today, another group flying in tomorrow. I'm still traveling a good bit and we're being safe, you know, getting, again, we have a healthcare side, so we're, we're getting those rapid tests and such. You know, still meeting with people. We think that's a, a huge part of the business is, you know, sitting down, breaking bread with different groups and really getting to know who they are as people, getting to know mm-hmm. their experience. That's that's huge for us. But, you know, 2021, there's definitely going to be a good bit of distress. Now, it all depends on if, you know, there's more and more stimulus, you know, if we keep kicking the can down the road. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're already, you know, noticing it amongst our multifamily portfolio. You know, we're definitely, you know, some of the properties are up two, 3% in terms of, you know, delinquency. And again, all that money is accumulating for these, these residents. They're going to have to pay that at some point or yeah. it's, it's going to really affect them. So it's all going to, we've been following a lot of different properties. We're starting to see a little bit more distress. I speak with, you know, lenders. They're not seen as much as they expected early last, early last year, but I think it's going to be much the same as, as last year, maybe a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a a tricky market to navigate. And again, we don't have a crystal ball, but, you know, if you're buying an asset that is already producing, you know, great cash flow, and if you could stress test those numbers and it still, you know, produces a a nice yield, we feel nice. We feel secure with that. So that's kind of our investment philosophy and, you know, kind of what we're sticking to going forward. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, definitely I can share that this is what we see also, you know, on assets across the board, you know, mainly deals that we're looking at the delinquencies are increasing. If the situation was bad even before COVID, then we're normally, you know, we we stay away. But if it's a short term pain, and we think we can get over this hump and, you know, bring better management and manage it better, then that could be an opportunity. It, it doesn't, it's not scary just to see a big number in delinquencies. The question is why? If it's the area, very hard to change the area. If it's management, then, you know, it's, it's a different story, basically. And I think you would agree over the last couple of years, the amount of deals that you've looked at, put bids out on, and you were telling me before, you know, we jumped on this podcast, how many you got outbid on and by yeah. a significant margin. You know, it's not just, oh, I got outbid, you know, by a, you know, a percent or 2%. You're getting outbid yeah. by 5, 10, 15%. So it's either, yeah. you know, you really messed up or they, they really messed up. And I promise you, you're not the one always messing up. You know, some of those deals are going to go yeah. really south. And again, yeah. if, if we're noticing it, you know, to a certain extent right now with, with our portfolio and, you know, we're weathering the storm, you know, we're not having to, you know, go into forbearance or anything, but some of these property owners, they're, they're going to have to. Because, you know, they were projecting, you know, crazy rent increases and right. their debt structure. You know, they got bridged, bridged debt with only had a one or two year term. Well, guess what? If you can't, if we missed all of last year in terms of rent bumps, you know, those, those properties, you weren't, you weren't able to renovate those properties and, you know, push rents up, you know, hundred, $200, 10 15%, whatever the number is. So if you missed a, you know, a year of doing renovations, that's going to affect you when you try to you know, get out of that bridge loan and try to refinance. So there's definitely going to be something interesting that's going to have to happen. And whether that be in some unique type of 
equity structure, you know, but they're going to have to recapitalize in, in some manner. And I think a lot of them are just going to, they're going to look to sell, get out of those deals and focus yeah. on the, on the deals that are performing well for them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be probably going to be an interesting deal for us just to see, okay, this is something that we can take care of. And that's definitely going to be an interesting, you know, deal to look at, even though I can tell you that in some cases I see struggling assets in because the owners know that there's so much capital out there, they're not adjusting their pricings. And so, you know, I'm looking at an asset with, I think it's 82 or 85% occupancy. It's not even stabilized, but the seller is putting it in the market at four cap. So it's, or, or 3.8, you know, cap. It just, it doesn't make sense, but maybe he will find a buyer that is willing to maybe take some losses in the first year or so. And I'm okay with that, but the risk has to be priced. There's a price for any uh, risk in, in cash flow. So yeah, that was an interesting discussion. Thank you so much, Peter. And we have arrived to the lightning round questions. So five quick questions that I ask all my guests. The first one is, what is your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby. So my father and I are lucky enough to, to race cars together. So we do that pretty often. We go to racetracks all across the country and we get to take out, you know, cars. We're adrenaline junkies. You know, we both were very athletic and, you know, played sports and such. So we got into, you know, racing cars, which is a great hobby that I get to share with my father. That's amazing. I like sports cars myself. So that's great. That's great that you, you do that with your father. It's, you know, I do it with my husband, but that's interesting. So what's the one thing that people don't know about you now that they know that you like to race cars? What else people don't know about you? I'm a pretty avid runner. So, I mean, again, I really, really, a lot of people don't like to run. I, I love running. I think it's a great way to clear the mind, especially looking at numbers all day, you know, in conference calls. Yeah. It's a great way to, and I'm in Tampa Bay. It's, you know, could go run along the water. We have this brand new, beautiful pier. So it's just, it's, it's nice. It's refreshing and it's healthy. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very avid runner. Awesome. And what do you wish you had known when you first started, you know, investing in real estate? I think we were just, we were just discussing this before our calls. Don't get attached to the deal. You know, I know there's a lot of young individuals, a lot of young companies out there that want to scale up and they want to scale quickly. But that's definitely a tr it's a tricky time to do that right now. And don't get attached to deals. You know, don't get so involved in a deal where you feel like, oh, I have to do it now. You know, you might make you know a few bucks on you know some fees or whatever initially, but yeah. you know, you know you're going to end up losing money in the long run, or you may lose your investors' money. Which guess what? They're not going to invest with you. So that's really going to that's really going to slow your growth. So you know, just be patient. Look at a lot of deals and really feel confident about the deal and really, you know, stress test the numbers to figure out if that's the right deal to do. And again, don't get attached. You know, you can always, always find another, another deal. Yeah. Deals are slow right now, but again, they'll, they'll pick back up. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Peter, if investors or family offices would like to reach out to you and discuss with you, talk with you about co-investing or hear about your advisory service, where can they find you? Yeah. So Again, I'm on LinkedIn. You can just look up my name, Peter Powers, or you can send me an email at ppowers at mpifamilyoffice.com. So that's my personal email. And you know, from there, we could set up a call and you know, we can start a conversation. All right, Peter, thank you so much for giving me about 
35 or 40 minutes, you know, out of your busy day. I truly, truly appreciate it. I appreciate it, Ellie. Thanks for bringing me on your show. And again, thanks for your time. I appreciate it, Ellie. All right, guys. So that's it for today. Be bold, be great, and keep moving forward. And I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.